but I would rather have conversations with people who are going to be interested in asking questions in January of 2021 when there's no more pandemic, there's a vaccine, we can, we're back to normal. Exactly. So like when emotions aren't high. Yeah. And I think, I think that's with emotions being high, I think, and with social media, I think it splits the line right down the middle where people, people will tweet things or post something way before they would even say it out of their mouth. So yes. I'm seeing faster what people think then they i feel like then they honestly want to show me and show us so that's the way i've been able to delineate like you mentioned the silent majority how people certain people think that i never would have imagined yeah and and i think that's those are people who obviously aren't allies like people who are saying stuff that is like way out of left field online that you know damn i just had a had lunch with them at work the other day this is how they really feel like it is it is and, and i think welcome to option a or b with your chris canada where informal barbershop like anything goes debating topics gets mixed with some formal parliamentary like debating structure what is up everyone i'm great to be back wish i was back under better circumstances but i'm still alive so i think that's kind of a good thing we're in the midst of a global pandemic, and this is also a super long episode, so I'm actually not going to do my usual monologue. But before we get into the episode, I will plug something. I want to plug wearing mask. And yes, I usually wear bandanas. Maybe that's the West Coast to me, but I do know that all masks are not created equal. So for the mask wearers out there, and for the people who don't want to wear the five cent mask, I have a great place for you to go to find Dope mask. Go to tryusmask.com. That's T R I U S M A S K S.com. You'll find dope mask on there. And because this episode is about racism, you will also be supporting a black business. So again, go to tryusmask.com where you will find dope masks way better than the $5 mask you can find basically anywhere. You find those on the ground. So go to tryusmask.com and find some dome ass over there. So I'm keeping it short so we can get into this extended episode. So without further ado, let's do this. The definition of racism, according to the first thing that popped up when I Googled it is Prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. Now today, most white people have lived their entire lives thinking that racism is not really a major issue in our society, and many among them even think that racism has long ended. Also today, most white people look at the accusation of being called a racist with the same equivalence to being called a racial slur. You know, like a black person being called a nigger. So when you're living in a post-racial society, according to many, then how can the conversation about racism ever happen in an honest way with whites and non-whites? Well, you're in luck. Because it's apparently not politically correct to call white people racist anymore, you know, because it's like calling them niggers, we're going to approach this in a different way. 
The definition of ally, according to the first thing that popped up when I Googled it, is combine or unite a resource or commodity with another for mutual benefit. I'll read that again. To combine or unite a resource or commodity with another for mutual benefit. The definition of bystander, according to the first thing that popped up when I Googled it, is a person who is present at an event or incident but does not take part. So in other words, these are the people who turn a blind eye. Now, a writer, political activist, and former Black Panther Party leader by the name of Eldridge Cleaver said, there is no neutrality in the world. You either have to be part of the solution or you're going to be part of the problem. And that brings us here for another option A or B, fireside chat. The topic we'll be discussing is racism, allies, or bystanders. And because this is a fireside chat, there will be no option A or B, but for the first time, I'm joined by two experts instead of one. An expert at being black and an expert at being white. And our first expert, who is an expert at being black, is a man by the name, what is your name, sir? Alonzo. Alonzo, and Alonzo, where are you from? Born and raised in Tacoma, Washington. Ooh, Tacoma, Washington. That's a great place. That's a great place. Um, I hear there's a lot of black people there. Actually, I don't hear that. <laughs> well, we, we do. I tell people all the time, it, it'll surprise you, man. We got more than enough, man. Yeah. So since there are black people there and you're black, what makes you an expert at being black? I was born black. Uh, my parents are black. <laughs> my kids are black. My wife is black. You know, I grew up in the black church and I went to a black college. Hmm. Hey, well, you know what? That sounds like enough for me. And our second expert, who is an expert at being white, is a man by the name, what is your name, sir? Dave Levine. Dave Levine, man, I feel like I've heard that name. Are you the guy who was on that Bill Simmons podcast who gave Kevin Durant the dumbest question ever? Is that this Dave <laughs> Levine? <laughs> the blog boy. Uh, the, the blog boy. The blog <laughs> No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm the I'm the creator of I'm the co-creator of billions. I'm that. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, or you cool. can check out. Uh, you also could go to my website, uh, DaveLevine.com. We <laughs> we sell sex toys. Wow, man! <laughs> this this guy is a man of many traits. Um, so Dave man. Levine, a man who's done it all. Where are you from? Also from Tacoma, Washington. Oh wow! So there is there a lot of black people in Tacoma, Dave? Um, you know, I didn't think there were that many until I went to college and uh, compared to Bellevue, yeah. Wow, wow. <laughs> How did you like know the difference? Was it, was it just like the white people let you know that there were black people where you're from or you just noticed that you never ran into black people anymore? Um, the white people were very surprised to find out that I had black friends. Well, with that just rose. goes to show Tacoma has some black people. Um, so that that's interesting. And lastly, Dave, what makes you an expert at being white? Um, well, I, uh, I sunburn very easily. Uh, <laughs> I got to sp spray myself with uh, SPF 50. <laughs> um, I, don't move, uh, I don't move laterally very well. Um, wow. <laughs> and uh, I went to a cookout uh, a couple summers ago, and uh, this lady served uh, potato salad with maple syrup in it. <laughs> Wow, that sounds that sounds about right. Sounds about white. Okay, so um, let me just explain to our listeners because this is not a debate. I don't need to take them through rules. It'll just be a conversation. But of course, just like any 
good conversation and contentious conversation, you want to make sure that people are making points of information that make their case. And again, if you don't know, points of information are just logical points that ladder up to someone's opinion. So if someone's not making logical points, then shouldn't be on here. But, you know, we're going to get started. And again, we're here to talk about racism, allies, or bystanders. And I'm going to start off with the expert at being black, uh, Alonzo. And Alonzo, my first question for you is, as an expert at being black, were you shocked by the election of Donald Trump in 2016? Yes or no? And why? Absolutely. (laughs) I I didn't believe he would have a realistic chance. It felt like it was a, like for, for the media. I thought it was like a big joke until he won the the Republican primary. And then at that time, I'm noticing I was a Bernie fan. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I voted for Bernie in the primary to over Hillary. But at the same time, there's no way I would have voted for him over Hillary. But there was no real momentum behind her. So maybe in the back of my mind, I was kind of concerned. But at the same time, I'm thinking my common sense is telling me there's absolutely no way this clown is going to is going to be the president Mm. of the United States. Like, there's no way there's enough people that would seriously vote for this dude to run the country. So I didn't think he was going to win until he did. And it still felt like a almost it still felt like a dream. And let me just ask you, because obviously there's a, cra- a, a conversation about racism and allies versus bystanders, there was a term that came around called the silent majority. And I'd never heard of that term before. And I don't know if you had heard of that term before, but what did the silent majority mean to you when you heard of something like that? It was one of those things where you start to realize, damn, there's actually people I really know that think like this, when you would have thought the complete opposite. Like these people start popping up, liking, retweeting, and posting shit that you never would have thought that they believe based on the person that you knew. Mm-hmm. So there were situations like that, obviously voting for Trump. And let's say the first one that really, really struck me was uh, Trayvon Martin. Mm. What was it that you were observing from people that you thought you knew that made you give, a, you know, as Stephen A. Smith always says, cause for pause? that they could even consider him suspicious. Like, why is he suspicious? Because me, obviously, I'm, I'm black, man, so I know, I'm, my parents raised me to know my surroundings in situations like that. So I understand him as a kid walking through the neighborhood to his dad's house, maybe skipping through a yard or two. That's my whole life growing up, you know what I'm saying? Yep. But I would never expect to be killed for that. And to see people kind of defend his murderer I couldn't understand that and that's when I got damn that's when you said the silent majority is a perfect example of that those people kind of coming up out of nowhere Dave so you know I want to obviously give you a chance to explain a little bit about your background so same question Donald Trump won in 2016 were you surprised by that yes or no and why Uh, I was definitely surprised um after the uh, after the Brexit vote, um, you know that really scared me um, because immigration uh, played a large role in that. Particularly, there were a, a lot of refugees that other countries in uh, Europe took in uh, from the Middle East, 
and uh, those people then became free to pass into uh, into the UK. Uh, so yeah, so not only the vote itself, but the uh, the motivation behind it um, was that you know we just uh, we don't want these outsider people of color coming into our country, um, and that's what Trump's whole campaign was about. So I certainly. I I hoped that we were better and Brexit was a referendum on a specific issue. Um, I, I didn't think that a f-ing idiot like him could win, but, you know, it's not like Hillary was polling at 54% at any point. I hate to say that I was not surprised. And I think part of the reason why I wasn't surprised is because I, and, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but I really do try to open, not open my mind, but listen to what other people are saying, even when they don't agree with, or rather when I don't agree with what they're saying. And I was hearing a lot of people rally around Donald Trump, as everyone who listens to this podcast knows. I actually had a debate about Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton before Donald Trump was even the nominee for his party. So I was already starting to get an idea just from the pulse of the people that this guy was like on a on a collision course toward the Democrats in November. And so, you know, I just want to throw that out there, but I want to shift away from Donald Trump because I think only thing that Donald Trump is relevant here is that he showed us this thing called a silent majority. And we all know the silent majority usually implies white people. And white people who feel a certain way, but they won't express that. And a person like me, I actually wish sometimes that we lived in a society where white people were more open with their thoughts. But the more social media has taken off, the more I feel like echo chambers have been created and the less comfortable people actually feel to express their true feelings outside of that echo chamber, which is why I believe personally that there are a lot more bystanders in the white community than there are allies in the white community when it comes to racism. So Dave, you being an expert of being white, you grew up around a good amount of white people, even in Tacoma. What was that like growing up? And what's it like for you now? So it's funny that you uh, that you feel you're saying that you feel that social media has forced people more into their echo chambers. I feel like I learn more about people's views through uh, because of social media than I ever would have otherwise. Um, A lot of that a lot of that is because I'm not in personal contact with uh, a lot of the people that um, you know, I'm friends with on Facebook or that I you know, follow on Twitter or whatever. Um, and so I, I don't have an opportunity to find out their views uh, anyway. Uh, so social media is the only way. But I feel like there was a silent majority, you know, uh, four years ago. And I, I feel like Donald Trump has, he's at least, he's at least the keyboard warriors. People, they're still not comfortable. Uh, they're still not comfortable. You know, saying it in person. Um, they're not comfortable. They, they, uh, they're not necessarily comfortable saying it uh, on social media outside of their echo chamber. Um, but, uh, but they do put it out there on social media. Uh, for uh, you know, there's there's in a lot of cases ways for everybody to see. Yeah, well, you know what? I, I, I want to respond to that because I totally agree. 
And actually, we're saying the same thing. The difference in what I'm saying is that with social media, a lot of us can pick and choose who we want to be or who, who we want to listen to. So that's how an echo chamber starts, because it's like, oh, I saw so-and-so retweet something about, you know, Colin Kaepernick disrespects the flag every time he takes a knee. I don't even want to deal with her. You're out of here. And you never see anything they ever say again. So not to say that they're silent in their stance, because you're right. It, they, they express their stance, actually, and then you would get rid of them. And then after you know x amount of years or however long then you don't come into contact with these people and then when you're at work so then so like i'm saying when you go to work you're not talking about that there because that's not the time when you are at a bar even i don't really well i live in a black neighborhood but i don't really hear a lot of drastically opposing opinions in my life like you probably could if people were really speaking the way they feel so that's part of the more of the reason why I call it a bystander, because I don't think most people, specifically in this case of white people in the in with who want to get rid of racism, I just don't think white people care about racism enough to have a passion to get rid of it. It's not a matter that they hate black people. They just don't think it's their problem. That to me is just as bad because there's way more people like that than there are people who want to march with a rifle. Systemic racism and these things that are in place are mostly there because most of the people here don't really find it affecting them and that's all that matters. I agree. Um, and social media is letting people know that it actually affects others because I've had a lot of people tell me that wow, I grew up around you your ent our entire lives, elementary school, junior high, high school, and I would have never known that you had these experiences. People say things like, I don't see color. Well, I was raised in an area where it's extremely diverse, you know, and I never looked at it like that. And this is, I guess, kind of kind of waking them up, which to me is odd because I've been experiencing, you know, similar situations forever. You know, and my parents experienced that stuff. Their parents experienced that stuff. So it's in me to know these things and other people are just now starting to realize it. Yeah, and, and I think what's odd about that to me is that the people who are noticing it are people who knew you, who probably may have heard you speak on that before. I know I for sure, I'm, de I'm friends with many different races of people i actually i can say this wholeheartedly at no point in my life do i think i ever wanted to be someone's friend based on their race you know like now when i was in when i was like a 12 i felt more comfortable around black people like once i started to understand race like when i was like 10 mm -hmm. i felt more comfortable around black people because i knew they understood my situation they i mean not my situation we understood each other and I think like that's why they'll say like you go to a, a elementary school, you'll see kids of all races playing together. And then when they get to mm -hmm. like fourth, fifth, sixth grade, seventh grade, they start understanding race and then things change. And so that means it's something that's taught to them. But what I'm saying is that like, how do white people not know that? Didn't you think it was weird when your black friend like started wanting to hang with black people? And then like when you asked him about it, I'm assuming he explained that to you. 
Um, I don't know, like, Dave, I mean, you've had black friends. Did you not learn anything from your black friends until, like, just recently? So, um, I get, I know, I, I, I've, uh, I've thought about this a lot. I've, I've, I might have even spoken, I might have spoken with you guys about it. One thing, growing up, the, like, most of, like, the people that I, the, the people that I was closest to were the people that I spent time with. And so that could be, uh, so that could be time um, if I was, you know, like I was on the swim team. So uh, I got close to some people on the swim team. Uh, I did the theater nerd thing. So I got close to some people in the theater. Um, and then, you know, otherwise it was people that uh, I went to, you know, that I had, that I had classes with. Um, and uh, so Lonnie and I met, Lonnie and I met when we were really young through a mutual friend and then but also our parents knew each other. Um, and then I'm we, but then we ended Lonzo. up. Is this the same? Sorry, Lonzo, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then, um, but then we were, uh, but then we were on the same baseball team too. So, you know, we spent more time together through that. And then we were in the choir. So uh, we spent more time together through that. Um, like, Chris, I, like our relationship, um, uh, we had, you know, we had a couple classes together. Um, we were on the track team together. Uh, you were a competitive high jumper. I finished last in the mile uh, every race for, for one year. Um, and then, uh, and then I finished not last uh, the next year, but uh, very close to last. Uh, I was uh, like, I was uh, like, I was in this. Uh, I was on this. They did testing before sophomore year to put you in this honors English class, and so I like went. I ended up on this honors path, and for whatever reason, you guys weren't in that class. Uh, and there was, I think, there was one black person in uh, in in those classes. There were just fewer. There were fewer opportunities to spend time with other black people, um, and so you know. So I think that's why I don't have as. Uh, I think that's a big part of why I don't have as many black friends. And then I go. I go to college. I join a fraternity. Um, we had fifty to seventy guys in there every year. We rushed a bunch of. We rushed black people. We offered them. You know, we, we offered them bids in the fraternity. Never, none of them ever signed. Then I go, then I graduate from college. I go to work. Um, I didn't have a black colleague my age until I was 28. And so for me to, for me to make black friends, like at this point in my life, I have to like, it's almost like I have to specifically be looking to make black friends. Mm. Um, well, well, that, wait, like, I, like, I want let me ask you a question though, because, um, because I just I want to hear your answer around that because that makes a lot of sense, honestly. And do you not think that because of the path, because many other people are in your shoes, and it may not because they took a class and they put them on an honors path. It's just like they didn't go to school with any black people. Like that's all you need, or and you just never were in scenarios where you were in diverse scenarios to just naturally not manufactured friendships with black people. But I think part of the issue, and I'm actually not taking blame off of black people, but 
don't you think that that makes it easy to be a bystander because you don't know any people so you're like eh. absolutely okay um uh some of the conversations that uh you 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 said something to me recently i wasn't uh you, you asked me and i wasn't i wasn't quite sure exactly what you're asking but it was um you know something along the lines of why don't you bring up race with your white friends yep and the like i don't you know i don't have a good answer for that um the i mean the the reason is we just want to shoot the shit about whatever and it's not fun to talk about these things and what i've what i've realized um you know what's what's really hit me in the last you know uh, two weeks especially is that we can't you can't be an ally if you're not talking about this stuff and you can't like you can't be an ally if you are not like if you're not willing to experience some discomfort you know whether it is you know, whether that's confronting somebody about uh you know a, a, a statement they made or you're or, you know, challenging a position or even just you know or bringing you know bringing something up that makes people think and feel um and it might make them think and feel a little bit heavier than they want to um but uh you 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 can't do that if you're just sitting around talking about basketball yeah, yeah and, I, and, I agree, man. Wait, uh, Alonzo, let me just say one thing. Because I am the one that asked you that, I want to explain that a little more. Because one thing I actually, and I'm, I can't wait to pass this over to Alonzo because he's probably going to disagree with me. But I know he doesn't, he's not going to be surprised to hear me say this. I do give white people much more, le- not leverage, much more... Um, I understand their lack of understanding, if that makes any sense. I don't think that white people are supposed to understand the plight of black people or just racism because it doesn't impact them. Like, just as if, you know, if you are someone and I I don't want to make it a class thing, but if you're someone who grows up in an environment where you're not exposed to poverty, then why would you really care other than like when it's when it comes across like you don't like poverty but you also aren't experiencing it enough to want to talk to your friends about poverty every day so it's like i get why someone wouldn't want to you know be the friend that gets ostracized because he's bringing bad vibes to the to the crew like we want to talk about basketball and bitches and all that stuff and like which, by the way, is probably not something that would be showing that I'm a, a, a ally of women with a word choice like that. But like, but the point is, is that I I understand that. And so when when a lot of black people get mad that white people was like, I can't believe white people don't understand. I'm like, come on, man. Like, imagine just imagine all the things you don't know about something other some other problem. Just put that put that on white people. They don't understand the problems the way you understand your problems. So at least give them that that much of a break, if you will. And I don't know if Alonzo has the ability to respond to that. If not, then I'll let Dave go. But that that I'll, to me I'll chime I'm, in. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying that's my main thing. I always try to push back on my black friends, which most of my friends are black. I'm like, 
look, man, you can't act like white people are like cruel just because they don't understand. And I think them not understanding is their privilege. That's a part of their privilege. Uh, they have the ability to not worry about things that bother us all the time. Like you can excuse yourself. You mentioned poverty. A lot of times with black families, you've got somebody in your family who is living in poverty. So we understand it. They don't have anybody necessarily in their family who's black, so they'll never really understand the details of what we deal with. And that is privilege. I think at some points that can, I don't want to say annoy or irritate, but some people aren't giving passes for the privilege. You know, you should understand what we're going through because this shit ain't new. It's not the first time you've heard it. You can't act ignorant to something that is slapping someone else in the face every day. Even if you see it and you're not getting slapped, you know that person is. So you cannot avoid that conversation. Like not even just the conversation because not everybody's gonna have it, but you cannot not understand that. And sometimes the privilege comes off as not understanding. And to me, that's like, it's, that's impossible. What I, what I would say is, so Chris, you're right. Um, uh, at least, you know, at least in my experience, um, I, you know, my, my dad's a doctor. Um, yeah, I've done, you know, I've done some volunteer work, um, you know, at the boys girls club, uh, in the central district. So, uh, you know, I've been around impoverished kids. I've done some volunteer work in my you know daughter's classroom. So, uh, uh, I've been, I've been, you know, and I remember seeing, you know, there was a kid at the boys and girls club, his hair was way out of control. And I was like thinking to myself, well, I bet he can't afford a haircut. Um, if you're, if you're just writing a check to, you know, if you're just, yeah, if you're just, if your way of getting involved in the community is going to auctions and writing checks and, and you're not even seeing the people that you're trying to help, then, um, you know, you didn't even get that little glimpse right there. Um, and then, so along the lines of, so along the lines of race, you know, we see, we see something on the news, um, you know, or, you know, we hear, you know, we hear, uh, we hear somebody talk, you know, we, we hear, you know, our black colleague talk about or something like that. But, um, I kind of see, like, I see Philando Castillo for Castile, for example, like, I'm like, man, that's fucked up. All right, good. They they charge the officer, like, and then he got to he gets acquitted. I'm like, well, that's fucked up. We need to change the law. And then I say that, and I'm done. And I or I see Walter Scott, and I'm like, all right, like it's terrible, but they cool. They you know he's going to prison for 20 years. Like, good. We're you know we're making progress. So I can like so I can tell myself that things are getting better. But like the way you go. So I, so I, I guess the, the difference between the difference between me and my evolution into being a better ally uh, and bystanders is you, you don't know, but if you want to be an ally, you have to start asking questions so you can understand you, you, mm. you can't, you, you can't under, you can't understand if you're, you know, if you're just sitting back and getting all your information from the news, you'll never understand. Um, it, but if, if, and if you want to be an ally and you and you want to move from bystander to ally, then you have to start asking questions and listening. Um, and 
that that's that's how you'll start to understand. Yeah, I think for me too is that I actually for me, I'm only speaking for me. I'm not speaking for an entire race. That's why I always like to also make sure we're clear that black people are not monolithic. I actually like when white people are willing to question, not just listen, but question well, why do you think a certain way? Because you know what? It's possible. And I'm not talking about question what the person is telling them. I'm saying question um, like, for example, if someone was to say, you know, this is how white people have done me and they have like a very narrow view of what white people do to people and their view can be true and you can be listening but you can also try to understand that there's still a bigger context to that and that like again not to get into specifics of cases but like some black people are raised to be very um uh cooperative with police officers at, at all times because they don't even want to uh even possibly allowed a situation to get out of hand but at the same time there's plenty of people i live in harlem there's plenty of people who are just so hostile towards everything that like that's not probably gonna be what they do and if something bad happens to them and they get neat their uh, their neck kneeled on you know like that's still a travesty but it's like not all black people are navigating through this world the same way. So I don't like it when white people get like one black person's perspective and thinks that, okay, well, I got the perspective. You know what I'm saying? It's like pretty intellectually lazy to- Oh, I fucking can't stand it. Yeah, to think that you're one black friend or the listening, because here's what's bothering me right now. <laughs> the, the thing that's bothering me right now is white people are listening right now and what i don't even know who they're talking to like they're listening to twitter i don't know because they don't have any black friends so they don't they're not having a real long ongoing developing through time conversation which i which is what i think is needed for growth on both sides for black people to trust white people and white people to trust black people there needs to be more conversation and more growth more understanding from both sides and that's my fear is that like an ally right now is just literally licking their finger putting their finger in the air and seeing which way the wind's blowing and listening to that versus like really trying to understand things you know when, when we learn black history in school we already feel awkward because we're learning that black people were slaves at the same time with our with our classmates who we're not even thinking about that when we're seven yeah. then by the time we get to be 11 or 12 we start learning more about black people because we know there, there's a lot more to us than we were slaves and Martin Luther King because that's basically what you learn in most schools and once we're and then we already start going down two different understandings of our of black people's existence and then we get to our 30s and you have no black friends all your, your kids are white your wife's white all your friends are white and, and all your colleagues are white and you know the black people is a little different but so I'm saying I understand white people not being able to properly ally. I'm only saying I think in order to really be an ally, it takes effort. It takes more than listening. It takes like it takes commitment. That's what I think. And I don't mean just dollars. I mean, it takes commitment into into wrapping your head around this problem that you are a part of, too. 
I'm in it, you're in it, we're in it, and you have to you have to immerse yourself in it, not to like your detriment, but you have to immerse yourself in it to really be an ally. That's my definition of what a real white ally is, not the white girls who f black guys. Not that. That's not what I'm talking about. I understand that. My my take on on allies is is really just understanding. Like I said, and and like you said, having having it in you to to want to ask questions. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. I've been telling people that at work because we've had some real open conversations and dialogue on you know some WebExes and and Zoom calls we've had at work. Um, be inquisitive. There's nothing wrong with being curious. If you see something and you're unsure, ask a question, just like you would anything else. I'm not gonna be offended if somebody asks me, yo, what do you think about, you know, what, what we just saw on the news? This is eating me up, what do you think? And I tell them, damn, the way I, when I look at that, I know that possibly could have been me. I know it could have been my brother or any of my friends because for some reason, some people find us threatening or because for some reason, some people have, they get on alert when they're dealing with us and, and lose their mind. And some people just straight up don't like us. You know, that's, that's all it takes to have that conversation. And that was an easy question that was not offensive and just a real answer. And there's, you know, and, and it's just been, and, and unfortunately, or not even unfortunately, but I've learned that it takes something like George Floyd that slapped all of us, the whole country in the face. It takes that for some people to be like, damn, I never realized this. Yo, it that takes shit. that plus a pandemic and you can't you have nothing else but to look at this over and over and over. Again. Bruh, a matter of fact, not even that it takes a, we got to get struck out. It was, it was Ahmaud Arbery, <laughs> Breonna Taylor, and then George Floyd, I'm talking about back to back to back. All in the with pandemic. The, with the global pandemic, yeah. And people are finally like, oh, shit. this is the this is real life for some of y'all. And Dave, I want you to chime in, but like, I totally agree with what you're saying, Alonzo. And my only thing that I think may be a white, white people's issue is that a lot of black people are jaded towards white people. I think black people are more jaded towards white people than white people are towards black people. I think white people are more afraid that black people don't like them because of the privilege that they have and just the bad hand they've been dealt. Like white people understand the basics. Like they understand that. Like white people, most white people, I think, understood the point of why Kaepernick was kneeling. Like as far as the problem, of why he was kneeling but they had an issue with him kneeling because it was somehow disrespectful to the country and the soldiers and the flag etc cetera, etc cetera. but like very few white people don't think that there's inequality like most normal people with a pulse understand that there's inequality in societies from top to bottom it goes much beyond race it goes class it goes in so many other ways and and so i do think and Dave, I'd love to hear you again, because you're the expert of being a white person. Um, do you think that some white people are a little a little apprehensive to engage black people and try to learn? Yes, I I definitely do. You know, there there are a couple of reasons for that, I I think. Um, so like like you were saying in your intro, like the worst thing you can call a white person is a racist. 
So if I just if I just sit as a bystander and I don't engage, then um, I, I'm not taking I'm not taking any risk. Um, I have no chance of of trying to help uh, screwing up and being labeled a racist. Um, whereas, you know, if I yeah, if I ask a question, if I ask it in the wrong way, or you know, or I ask the wrong person, um, and or if it's or if it's just a dumbass question, um, then uh, now this person who never thought I was a racist before is like, you know, why did his racist ass just ask me that question? So, so I think, you know, so I think it's, it's easier to just, you know, sit on the sidelines because, you know, you don't have to put yourself out there. The other thing, you know, I, I started, uh, you know, I started this conversation with, with you guys and, you know, and I've started it with some other people before is I think there are a lot of people who do like, they do want to be allies, but they don't, they don't know what to do and they're not sure who to ask like should i be asking white people about this should i be asking black people about this I, like i'll give you you know uh i could see myself you know 25 years ago during the clinton administration uh being in favor of work requirements for uh to get food stamps um uh not because i believe in that now but just that's because like that was a more popular view at the time, and I could see if how I could get sucked into that. So, um, so I could see myself like saying, "Hey, you know what I'm going to do to help black people? Like, I'm going to put, I'm going to like advocate for work requirements so they can eat. Like, that's what I'm going to do to help." Um, and so, so like for me, um, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go and consult with a bunch of white people. Or just consult with the wrong people and start advocating for this thing that I that my intent is to help black people, but it ends up being uh, to the detriment. Another example: I have a, a friend of mine. Um, he, uh, uh, he one of his neighbors left a note at his door uh, a couple of days ago, and you know she's like, "Hey, you know, you've lived here for a while. I haven't met you. I see, uh, I see you've got a couple girls that are the same age as my girls." Um, and I just want to let you know you're welcome in this state. And he said, he's like, that was nice of her. Like, it didn't make me feel worse, but it didn't do anything. Like, it doesn't do, it doesn't, it doesn't make anything better. And so if I, like, uh, if I'm going to put, if I'm going to put time and energy into being an ally, uh, I certainly don't want to do something that ends up being to the detriment um, but I also don't want to do something that's just a complete waste of time either. Like I want to make sure if I put in the time and energy that I'm doing something that actually helps the cause move forward. And like for me, I guess I just I just haven't taken the time to ask. Um, I I think for other for other people, you know, if you if you went to if you grew up like I was talking to a a guy today, he went to high school in rural Minnesota, and then he went to University of Puget Sound. Um, he's like, I don't like, I don't know any black people. Like, I don't know who, like, I want to get, like, I want to help, but I don't even know, like, I don't know any black people to ask. Um, so I think, I mean, that's, that's another thing that makes it hard is you, you know, you literally don't have a person to ask how you can help. And, and, and 
I'm I'm really glad you said that because what is I say frustrating to me right now is and I was telling my girlfriend this is that I think everyone right now is emotionally invested in the idea of allies and so forth but I don't think people are intellectually driven being emotionally driven and being an intellectually driven are to me are not the same thing you know I can see like a movie about outer space and be like oh that's cool like I really when I saw um Matthew McConaughey in Interstellar like it really but then like but you're not really into it like if that's all you think of space and you don't really get into it to me that's like if you listen to rap music or you like athletes and stuff like that and that makes you feel connected I think that gives people a false sense of connection and and in a sad way I think it for a lot of black people as well you know I'm not black I'm OJ being accepted by people because you've transcended your blackness because now you fit in I think is an example of black people felt great that OJ was in advertisements we black people are we're doing things but at the same time as someone in advertising I know white people will generally the people that make decisions just put black people in ads to sell things to black people but they don't really care about black people other than getting their money and so you have to really like be interested in things more than just saying like I have a black friend from Uganda and he grew, he was a king out there and so but he's black so like you know it's like so many different layers and so many different ways of existing that I just don't like that everyone seems so and again I love that people are interested in in trying to find out solutions but I would rather have conversations with people who are going to be interested in asking questions in January of 2021 when there's no more pandemic there's a vaccine we can we're back to normal exactly so like when emotions aren't high yeah and I think I think that's with emotions being high I think and with social media I think it splits the line right down the middle where people people will tweet things or post something way before they would even say it out of their mouth so I'm seeing faster what people think than they I feel like than they honestly want to show me and show us so that's the way I've been able to delineate like you mentioned the silent majority how people certain people think that I never would have imagined yeah and and I think that's those are people who obviously aren't allies like people who are saying stuff that is like way out of left field online that you know damn I just had a had lunch with them at work the other day this is how they really feel (laughs) like it is it is and, and I think speaking for me i think we me my experience as a black i think we're a lot more honest with our feelings and i don't really think it's a super surprise how i may say something i may be, it may surprise people with the passion that's behind it but not the words and feeling with it mm, mm. so unfortunately we're gonna have to wrap this up so so we have time, but we're going to have to start wrapping up. So, Dave, you know, obviously I want you to at least be able to put a bow on what we've been saying today for at least we could do this more times. But um, one thing that I think is important 
and I'm glad we haven't discussed it, and I don't think that we need to, but both of you guys have children. You guys kind of have both referenced it here and there. And um, what I think you could do best is try to almost give your children a perspective, an interest, like a genuine interest that goes beyond an emotional interest, a genuine interest in thinking that racism is whack. That's it. For like, sure. That's all For you sure. need to do. Like, you don't need to, like, coach them as to, like, this is how white people are, this is how black people are. Just people are people. And it really doesn't matter, like, if they're black or white at the end of the day. Like, it really doesn't matter with, with kids. But, like, Dave, I want you to um, say something, and then, you know, and then Alonzo, I'll let you say something as well. So, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because when I was when I was growing up, my parents taught me to not be racist. But, you know, I've, I've, I've heard, uh, I've heard about it, uh, and read about it, you know, more in this past year. And then a ton in this past two weeks, um, about, uh, it's not enough to not be racist. You have to be anti-racist. Um, and so what makes me optimistic about the future is, racism is it's a form it's a form of bullying this at least at least where we are the schools um are very deliberate about you know teaching anti-bullying um they all we also had we had uh, our school had you know black lives matter week um they you know my daughter's in kindergarten and they're not shying away from this stuff and so uh i made sure uh, sometime in the last week to you know, talk to her it's like and just say you know if you if you saw somebody being mean to or, or is it okay for you to be mean to a, you know somebody else in your class no it's not okay what would you do if you saw someone else being mean? she said you know i'd go over to that person and i would tell them you know uh you need to be nice to them this isn't the eagle way that's what they uh that, that's their mascot um but so, so she's already learning in kindergarten um, how to be an ally and not just a bystander. Um, so I'd, so for people with kids, I'd say you know two things. You know, one, the kids aren't learning that in, in their schools. Make sure you're teaching it, um, and make sure you're reinforcing it because at some point they're going to stop teaching that at school. But the other thing is. Um, don't shy away from uh, like don't shy away from race because they're too young because like you guys are saying like uh, black people learn about race really early um, and so they're like they're not the only ones who are it's not just black kids who are ready to learn about it when they're three or four years old um, but as far as this entire conversation goes um, you know what? You know, what I've yeah, what I've learned is, um, it's uh, it's imp it's important to it's important to ask questions, um, and and keep an open mind because racism is not a logical thing. So when so when you hear about someone's experience, uh, even someone you know well and trust. It, it it sounds like bullshit because you can't imagine who in their right mind would do that to somebody. 
Um, but you have to remember that it's not it's not a rational behavior. It's an emotional behavior. So that's why it doesn't make logical sense. So ask questions, uh, listen, you know, keep an open mind, and um, and just and don't be af- you know, don't be afraid to speak up. If someone's you know if someone is going to say stupid at Thanksgiving, you don't ruin Thanksgiving by calling it out. They ruin Thanksgiving by saying and believing the stupid shit in the first place. You have to put, you, you have to take risks um, and and you're gonna have to get uncomfortable. Well said, and Alonzo, do you have anything you'd like to say? Yeah, definitely. Um, the past few weeks, man, I've been reached out to by a lot of people. You know, I, was, I grew up in a very diverse area. Um, I work in corporate America, you know, so I've got a lot of white friends that I grew up with, uh, colleagues, coworkers, you know, old classmates. Um, so I actually wrote my thoughts down, man. Um, within the past couple of weeks, I've had a lot of my white friends, coworkers, classmates, and even some people that I haven't spoken with in years reach out to me asking me what they can do or how I'm feeling or where do they start. Um, letting me know that they're sympathetic. All those things I'm very appreciative for. Um, the outreach as well as the fact that people are opening their minds or even trying to. Um, what I would tell them to do is to use their privilege, speak up. Like Dave said, if you hear something, you're not ruining the mood by addressing it. That person ruined the mood for even, for even speaking on it or even feeling like that. Um, for instance, the CEO of the company that I work for put out a statement company-wide on Monday. It was a video. Um, and it, he had a couple things he said that really stuck with me. And, you know, in all my years in corporate America since graduating, I've never heard a C-level executive even begin to try to have this kind of conversation. Um, his quote was, we cannot lose sight of the fact that racism is tearing our communities apart. One thing we need to focus on and understand is that the silent carriers help spread racism. Um, again, um, you should be a true ally and stop being silent in the face of racism. When you hear something or see someone say something, be it a family member, a friend, or anyone within range, speak up on it like I would as a friend. Dave, I consider you a friend. If I heard anybody disparaging your family or your heritage or your religion, I would speak up on it because that's how I treat people that I care about. You know what I mean? Um, you should be understanding Try to understand why I may be fed up or people just like me. Fed up, exhausted, angry, sad, all of the above. Um, A lot of us have young children that we're struggling with explaining the state of the world today to. Um, You know, my daughters are, my oldest is 10, my twins are eight. You know, they're, they're very smart, they're aware. So they're asking questions like why? And right now that's hard to answer because I'm trying to I want to preserve their innocence. You know, I don't think, you know, they grow, they go to a diverse school and have got friends of all races, you know, and I don't want them to think that at some point people are going to dislike them just for how they look or how they were born. You know, I actually, one of my twins was sitting on my lap the other day and was crying, you know, and I'm holding her. And by the time she's ready to tell me it was wrong, she says, Daddy, I don't want you to be choked, you know? And that kind of hit me in the gut because I know that that could have been me and my, my daughter at eight 
realizes that too, which is which is which is wild. Um, you got to know why I go on alert when I see the police pop up behind me, or understand why situations with them can irritate me. I've been followed, pulled over, cornered in my driveway back home in Washington, had the dogs search the car, and they're never for a valid reason. I'm a law-abiding family man. Um, if anything, if I get pulled over for speeding, I know I was speeding. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not blaming everything on that, but I understand when I'm not. And when, and when I am being harassed or pulled over for a reason, that shit just really happened to me. Um, more than anything, you need to have these tough conversations with each other. And if that makes you uncomfortable, so be it. Um, we, as, a, as grownups, we've got to at a certain point be comfortable being uncomfortable and having conversations that we don't want to have. You've got to call people out, be willing to risk those friendships or whatever social capital you've built up in those circles. Um, I listened to a podcast the other day um, and one of the hosts said something that really stuck with me. He said he's sick of seeing white politicians go to black churches when things like this happen. Um, they should go to the white churches and have the tough conversations there where more than likely those conversations aren't being had. Because um, we as minorities, we have these conversations every damn day. Like Dave said, um, as black people, we learn about race at a very early age. So as a true ally, one of the main things you can do is start to have these tough conversations amongst each other. Wow, wow. I mean, can't can't really say it any better than that. We can't really wrap it up any better than that. And so with that said, obviously, this isn't a typical debate where I'm going to tell people to go to optionarab.com and vote for whether you agree or disagree. But what I will say is that we can have more conversations like this because I think what makes this a little different from many other things that I'm at least doing or engaged with is that we're not here trying to say we have the answers, but we're at least trying to tell people that we we would rather see things that aren't being expressed to us in the media being expressed. For example, like you said, Alonzo, about having the white politicians going to the white church. I've never heard that before. Like that, just hearing that right there kind of made my like this, this whole experience was, was great. And then for what Dave said about, you know, don't be not racist, be anti-racist, see bullying, seeing it is like bullying. And just because you were taught to be a bully doesn't mean that you can't stop being a bully because what can be taught, I think can be untaught. And so um, I don't know, Dave and Alonzo, do you guys have any things that I need to be adding to the show notes? Any things you want me to plug before we get out of here? Uh, I'll go first. Uh, not necessarily something that can be plugged, but uh, we should support our HBCUs. Um, I'm a product of Morehouse College. Um, I'm very pro HBCU. And one thing I'm doing right now is I'm trying to build the bridge between these colleges and institutions and some of the top grassroots basketball programs in the country. You know, I want the conversation to be had amongst our basketball talent that there is another option for them to look at, you know, and obviously I'm realistic is baby steps. The first thing to do is to realize that there's an option and it may interest you. So you're considering it. Next thing you do, potentially take a visit. And hell, who knows, you take that visit, you know, the way our campus is moving in the spring, there's a big chance you might fall in love with it. You know, and eventually <laughs> kids might start signing up and really attending our schools. And, and again, it's not for everybody, 
Um, but it is an option that I think a lot of people should take a more serious look at. And I'm doing what I can right now to be that bridge between the coaches and these programs. And Dave, you have anything you'd like to <clears throat> plug before we get out of here? Well, a couple of things. Um, uh, if you don't want to go to those HBCUs, you should consider the University of Washington um, and no other <laughs> schools. Um, uh, I would like everybody to uh, reach out to Curtis High School Athletic Director Suzanne Vick uh, and uh, ask her to retire Isaiah Thomas's number. Um, and that's, not, and that's I, not Isaiah Thomas from the last dance. Not the sexual <laughs> harassing Isaiah Thomas, the Boston Celtics Isaiah Thomas. Oh, and I, I have an apology to make. Um, in addition to, uh, I'm sorry for being a shitty ally. Uh, I'm also sorry uh, for uh, falsely accusing Alvin Grimes of being a Kobe stan uh, on my last appearance on this show. Uh, the uh, the actual Kobe Stan is uh, Oliver Otis Howard alumni <laughs> Jay uh, Jay Smith. Um, uh, so I'm so I'm sorry I'm sorry Alvin. Wow. Uh, I uh, I did not make I did not make that mistake. Uh, I did, I did, it wasn't because I thought you guys looked alike. Um, <laughs> I, uh, uh, I want to plug, I want to plug the 718 podcast. Uh, it's, uh, the word seven and the word 18, uh, my man, uh, Sean Hardy. And I also want to plug Oliver Otis Howard alumni, uh, true Harvey Jenkins, his business, uh, his, he's a marketing guru, but his business is called Blick Brick block and stone masonry check it out it, uh it's in fresno and if you don't have a confederate flag flag in front of your house we'll give you a discount boom and there you have it folks that's it we're done um i just want to also plug there is now option airb merchandise for real for real it's on amazon the first one we dropped was it's called new york mankeys uh if anyone heard we had a mankeys rant uh, that came out a year ago, and um, now we have a New York Mankeys merch, and we also have the Option Air B logo merch also available on Amazon, and so I will try to include that in the show notes as well. Um, but again, I want to thank Dave and hey, Alonzo. Can I, can I say one more thing? Okay. Can I say one more thing? <laughs> one more thing. Uh, I want to give uh, I want to give an extra special shout out to Alonzo Weatherby. Uh, it only took. Uh, it only took him four years, uh, a pandemic, and a bunch of murders for him to come on the podcast of the godfather of his firstborn. Yeah. So, shout out, shout out, Alonzo. I'm here, man. I'm here, man. There's no, there's no better way to, to end it. So, like, with that said, thank you for listening, everyone. A message to the Oreo cookies. Find a mirror and take a look, G. Do you like what you see? But you're quick to point the finger at me. You want to be the big fish, you little guppy. Black man can't be no yuppie. You put on your suit and tie and your big clothes. You don't associate with the Negro. You want to be just like Jack. But Jack is calling you a nigga behind your back. So back off, genius. I don't need you to correct my broken knee. You know that's right. You ain't white. 
So stop holding your ass tight Cause you can't pass So why you keep trying to pass With your black ass Mr. Big But in reality You're shorter than a mid You only got yourself to blame Get a grip, Oreo And be true to the game And Ice Cube practices what he preaches. He continues to live in South Central Los Angeles, and he puts his money into projects that improve the neighborhood. Be true to the game.